From the unexplained to the mundane, come join us on a journey to the fringe. Hello and welcome to Journey to the Fringe, where we keep the paranormal alive during this festive and merry time of year. We are your festively spooky podcast hosts, Taylor and Chelsea, here today reigniting an age-old Christmas tradition. Now, Chelsea, I don't know about you, but as an edgy teenager, or a little older I guess too, I've never thought of A Christmas Carol as truly a Christmas story. It comes up a lot during Christmas, but... That story could technically take place at any time. It just happens to kind of take place at Christmas. Little did I know. Go ahead. But it's the ghost of Christmas present and past. Well, yeah, but it's not like the the merriment of the season actually did anything. It's all about him like realizing that workers kind of need a day off. At the end of the day, it's ghost telling a business owner to give people a day off. Okay, I mean, if you're taking it strictly for, I mean, yes, yes, that's what it's about. It's teaching us the valuable lesson of a Christmas day off. But I didn't actually realize that it actually is incredibly Christmassy because it adheres to an age-old tradition of the Christmas ghost story. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, this episode's going to be about the history of the Christmas ghost story. I'm going to cover <laughs> the actual history itself, and then Chelsea's going to do a bit of the actual ghosting in the storying. Yeah, I'm coming to haunt you guys. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, but this is a super old tradition. The precise origin of telling ghost stories at the end of the year is act it's not known because it's an oral tradition. So you know, like no written records to say, aha, it dates back here because they dated it. It's too old to know. Yeah. It may be the beginning of time. Probably the beginning of time. When those cells, like you you said that one time, like yeah. three billion years ago, they were telling yeah. those ghosty stories. They were. <laughs> Sarah Cleto, a folklorist specializing in British literature, says the season around winter solstice has been one of transition and change for a very, very long time. The season has provoked oral stories about spooky things in many different countries and cultures all over the world. Spooky storytelling gave people something to do during the long, dark evenings before electricity. Tara Moore, an assistant professor of English at Elizabethtown College, also adds that, quote, the long midwinter nights means folks had to stop working early and they spent their leisure hours huddled close to fire. Plus, you didn't need to be literate to retell the local ghost stories. Mm. End quote. And it was in Victoria, England, that telling supernatural tales at the end of the year, specifically during the Christmas season, went from an oral tradition to a timely trend. This was due to the development of the printing press, which gave Victorians the opportunity to commercialize and commodify existing oral ghost stories, turning them into a version they could sell. Quote, higher literacy rates, cheaper printing costs, and more periodicals meant that editors needed to fill pages, Moore says. Around Christmas time, they figured they could convert the old storytelling tradition to a printed version. People who moved out of their towns and villages and into larger cities still wanted access to the supernatural sagas they heard around the fireplace growing up. Quote, Fortunately, Victorian authors like Elizabeth Gaskell, Margaret Oliphant, and Arthur Conan Doyle worked through the fall to cook up these stories and have them ready to print in time for Christmas. The interest was driven, she says, by, quote, the rise of industrialization, the rise of science, and the looming fall of Victorian Britain as a superpower. All of these things were in people's minds and made the world seem a little bit darker and a little bit scarier, end quote. Ooh, spooky. Yeah. The popularity of Victorian Christmas ghost stories also transcended the socioeconomic status, according to Moore. 
They were available to read everywhere from cheap publications to expensive Christmas annuals that middle-class ladies would show off on their coffee tables. Their broad audiences were reflected in the stories themselves, which sometimes centered around the working-class characters and other times took place in haunted manor houses. The upper-class settings were intended to invite readers from all classes into an idealized upper-crust Christmas, the type today's fans of Downton Abbey still enjoy as entertainment, more added. And then Charles Dickens comes along, and in 1843, he writes a novella called A Christmas Carol. This has forever linked the British author with the holiday season, but his contribution to Christmas in Victoria, England included the tradition of telling and reading ghost stories extend far beyond Jacob Marley's visit to Scrooge. In fact, Dickens played a huge part in popularizing the genre in England. Quote, he wrote a bunch of different Christmas novellas, several of which involved ghosts specifically, Cleto says, and then he started editing more and more Christmas ghost stories from other people and working those into the magazines he was already editing, and that just caught like wildfire, end quote. Dickens also helped shape Christmas literature in general, Moore says, by formalizing expectations about themes like forgiveness and reunion during the holiday season. As this phenomenon was based in folklore and the supernatural, it was a tradition the Puritans that moved from Britain to the New World in the U.S. frowned upon, so it didn't really gain traction in America prior to this all taking place. Mm, Washington great. Irving helped resurrect a number of forgotten Christmas traditions in the early 19th century, but it really was Dickens who popularized the notion of telling ghost stories on Christmas, even in the U.S. A Christmas Carol was an immediate bestseller in the United States, but at the time of its publication, Dickens was arguably the most famous writer in the world, and already wildly popular. The novella's success in the U.S. likely had more to do with Dickens' existing fan base than it did Americans' interest in incorporating the supernatural into Christmas. Quote, American Christmas scenes and stories tended to be syrupy sweet, end quote, Moore explains. There were few American writers of the period trying to put Victorian-style Christmas ghost stories into American culture, including Nathaniel Hawthorne and Henry James. Washington Irving made a similar and earlier attempt, slipping the supernatural into Christmas-themed short stories published in 1819 and 1820. However, in 1868... Dickens discontinued his Christmas publications, complaining to his friend Charles Fector that he felt, quote, as if I had murdered Christmas a number of years ago, and its ghost perpetually haunted me, end quote. By then, the ghost of Christmas stories had taken on an afterlife of its own, and other writers rushed to fill the void that Dickens had left. By the time Jerome's 1891 Told After Supper book was written, he could casually joke about traditions long ensconced in Victorian culture. If some of these later ghost stories hadn't entered the Christmas canon as Dickens' work did, there's perhaps a reason. As William Dean Howell would lament in Harper's editorial in 1886, the Christmas ghost tradition suffered from the gradual loss of Dickens' sentimental morality. And this is a quote from the 1886 Harper's edition. The ethical intention which gave dignity to Dickens' Christmas stories of still earlier date has almost wholly disappeared, end quote. So that happens. Dickens kind of stops writing Christmas stories. And, you know, after a great one leaves, there's just people stop watching him like a lot of sports mm -hmm. makes sense and then another reason telling spooky stories never really took off after this time in the united states was because it became more firmly established as a halloween tradition thanks to the immigration of irish and scottish immigrants the holiday as we know it is an odd hybrid of celtic and catholic traditions we will probably do an episode on this next year around Halloween, as Halloween as we know it borrows a lot of tradition from a holiday known as Samhain, which is celebrated at the end of the harvest season and the onset of winter by the Irish and the Scottish. 
As well, with numerous other pagan holidays, Samhain was in time merged with Catholic festivals, such as All Souls Day, which is on November 1st, which could also have tinged towards obsession with the dead into Halloween, a time when the dead were revered. The boundaries between this life and the afterlife were thinnest, and when ghosts and goblins ruled the night. Americans seized on Halloween's supernatural side, rather than the cultural aspects. We all know how this turned out in the long run. So the transition from Christmas to Halloween as the preeminent holiday for ghosts was an uneven one. Even as late as 1915, Christmas annuals of magazines were still dominated by ghost stories, and Florence Kingsland's 1904 book of indoor and outdoor games still lists ghost stories as fine fare for Christmas celebration. And in this book, it quotes, the realm of spirits was always thought to be nearer to that of mortals on Christmas than any other time, end quote. Other than the Christmas Carol, which is still very popular, I assume that everybody still watches the Muppets Christmas Carol, the obviously I, correct one to watch. That's the only reference I have for a Christmas Carol, and I don't want to change it. That's no. exactly what I'm picturing. Like I'm singing it's what some Dickens of the intended, songs. It, I assume he wrote it with the Muppets in mind. And he also wrote all those catchy songs. Yeah, but it's not the only one ghost-related reference that you would see around Christmas time. The 1963 song by Andy Williams, It's the Most Wonderful Time of Year, lists scary ghost stories as one of the highlights of the holiday season. Oh. Which I didn't actually realize until I was doing research for this episode, but it's totally in that song. Although it's unclear why the writers of the song included the tradition, Cleto says that it's possible that the lyrics is a reference to Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Quote, it's only the one text she notes, but it's such a big deal here in the US and the UK that it's pretty much all that Americans know about Christmas ghost stories in isolation. No, that's true. So yeah, that's the background behind it. And I think, personally, this means that you can still wear your Halloween costume around Christmas if you want to. <laughs> That's definitely what that means. So I say we show up to Christmas in our Halloween costumes, of course. But yeah, that's the that's the history of the tradition behind it and kind of why it fell out of fashion. I think it needs to make a comeback. I think that that's a pretty cool tradition, if I do say myself. I should also add at this point that one of my main articles that I used for my research was the Smithsonian Magazine. So I should point out that they're likely trying to cover some sort of giant-related tradition that is relating oh, to Christmas to instead bring back ghost stories. So again, probably hiding something giant-related, but... We'll continue on from here to Chelsea. We can part just of the assume story. that. Yeah. From here on out. Anything Smithsonian yeah. is covering up giants. Yeah. It's covering up giants. For sure. What Christmas giants do we not know about? <laughs> but I think it's a good time to continue on to the actual stories themselves. Is it it's your turn, turn now. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So basically there wasn't just like the Muppet Christmas Carol like we were just talking about. I have to bring it up again because that's a five star Christmas movie in my opinion. I believe we watched it last year, was it? Or the year before? I watch it every year. It's so catchy. And I, I personally believe it is Michael Caine's best acting role. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. And I'm going to be singing some of those. So they're going to be stuck in my head until after yeah. Christmas at least. And, and might I personally just add how much more difficult it must be be to take a serious acting role entirely around Muppets. <laughs> that Because he does a deadpan mean Scrooge. Yes, and that and just has to be so hard. It's five star movie, five star acting to Michael Keaton. <laughs> I don't know how he didn't end up with the Oscar that year. It is an Oscar-worthy movie. I am telling you that right now. That is one of my favorite movies. And I could probably sing you some songs off by heart right now. But now I'm going to talk about Christmas ghost stories. The stories. 
which is usually the best part of any episode is the sightings. So first I just wanted to touch on some, if you're looking to tell a Christmas ghost story this year and bring it back, I just wanted to go over a little of that first and then I'll oh, get- Oh, come on. Sorry. I just, I looked this up. Anthony yeah. Hopkins won it in 1992 for Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> I, I know. Mean... <laughs> Literally, they screwed up. <laughs> Was the Muppet Christmas Carol even on the docket? I didn't, I didn't look it up. I just looked okay. up who won okay. that stack. I don't know what to comment on that. I mean, I'll I'll do respect to Anthony Hopkins. Disappointing to say the least. Okay, so what Taylor talked about, I mean, some of these are epics, like the Christmas Carol. That's a Christmas ghost story epic. And a lot of them were periodicals in magazines, like Taylor said. And there are anthologies of books that you can get out there on Amazon, Indigo, whoever you want to support. We might put one out if you want to support local. There's quite a few of those put together of periodicals in one convenient place. So for example, I found a Valacourt Book of Victorian Christmas Ghost Stories, the Wimborne Book of Victorian Ghost Stories. Lots of options out there. As far as specific ghost stories that will spook the holiday spirit right into you, special mental go to the old nurse's story by Elizabeth Gaskell who Taylor mentioned horror a true tale by John Berwick Hartwood bring me a light by Jane Margaret Hooper Charles Dickens the signal man there we go another one M.R. James a warning to the curious Wolverdon Tower by George Allen Smee by A.M. Burridge Burridge how he left the hotel Louisa Baldwin Needless to say, there's a ton. So if you're looking to add to your holiday book collection, I would highly recommend probably an anthology of short stories. Most bang for your buck. So let's get into some highly sought after Christmassy paranormal encounters. I don't believe that these are going to be as Christmas story as we just went over because these ones are just spooky stories. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, they're not necessarily Christmassy. No, it's about- just more so that whole tradition of reading a ghost story around Christmas. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily need to be Christmas related. Yeah, but for me, it needed to be Christmas related. So these are in no relation to the Christmas ghost stories that we just talked about. This is our own journey to the fringe spin on it because you need some Christmas in a ghost story for a Christmas ghost story episode, I think. Oh, if we're restarting the tradition, we need to have a segue or a bridge to be able to get to the true ghost stories, yes. which is incorporating it to Christmas to make sure that we understand why it's happening. Exactly. So you can take these into the segue of finishing it off with some real ghost stories. Even go back and listen to a scary, spooky episode of ours is my recommendation as well. Okay, so first up is the Mistletoe Bride. In the early 17th century, a young woman named Anne was to be married on Christmas Day in Bramshire house in Hampshire, England. After the ceremony and feast, as was tradition at the time, the guests were all set to carry the bride to the bedchamber. Anne suggested a game be played and asked for a five-minute head start before the guests came to find her. Everyone searched long and hard for Anne, but no sign of her could be found. At first, they thought she had played a merry trick, but soon a sense of unease fell over the guests. The bridegroom, Lord Lovell, not sure what that means, bridegroom. I don't know, was distraught and guests began to whisper that she must have fled. Days, weeks, months, and years passed and Lord Level never stopped looking for his bride. One day, can you imagine just like, is she in this closet? <laughs> like 30 years later. <laughs> Maybe I never checked this closet. I don't think it's a continuous investigation. It's kind of just like when he's like, oh, right, right. She's missing. <laughs> 
And then you just like open the closet and then be like, okay, okay, I've got enough for now. Yeah, I can't remember if I looked in this closet, but she's not there. It's just important that I take that step. <laughs> One day, some 50 years after her disappearance, Lord Level was up in the huge attic of the sprawling mansion, where he began tapping on the oak paneling, looking for her, obviously. As he knocked, a long hidden secret door sprung open, and inside he found an ornate wooden chest. He pried open the heavy wooden lid, and there, still in her wedding dress and clutching her mistletoe bouquet, were the skeletal remains of his beloved. The scratch marks on the inside of the lid of the chest attest to her desperate but futile effort to free herself from her hiding space. That's the end of that story. That is like a huge, like, legend around England. So you will hear this in many a manners on this one. And manors, not manners as in, like, being polite. Manners like a house. A lot of them circulate around with many different kind of the same the end result is always the same but the story changes it up but i like on this one in particular where her hiding spot is behind a secret trap door in a chest <laughs> the trap door yeah. wasn't enough <laughs> no we need an extra step <laughs> that was Jeez. the downfall right there <laughs> yeah the next one is the Christmas apparition of Alcatraz. The island of Alcatraz, if you're not familiar, is off the coast of San Francisco, and it has a very long and spooky history. In its earlier days, Native Americans allegedly used to banish miscreants, miscreants, to the island as punishment, where they were reportedly plagued by the local spirits. Alcatraz, of course, became a notorious federal prison in 1934, housing criminals such as Al Capone before it was shut down in 1963. Today, visitors to the island report hearing screams, the clanging of metal doors, and the sound of voices within the walls. One of the most famous tales associated with the island supposedly occurred in the 1940s, when Warden James Johnston held a Christmas Day party at his residence for the staff at the prison. The good cheer is said to have been brought to a swift halt when an apparition sporting mutton chop whiskers and a gray suit appeared. The temperature in the room plummeted and the fire blew out before returning to normal when the spirit disappeared about a minute later. The rattle guards were too scared to stay in the residence and the rest of the Christmas celebration ended abruptly and Christmas was cancelled that year in Alcatraz. Next one. Headless Anne Boylan at Hever Castle in Kent, England. Anne Boylan is notorious as the second of King Henry the Eighth. King Henry the Eighth. Nice, I read that right. His ill-fated wives. To marry Anne, Henry spent years seeking a divorce from his first wife, Catherine of Aragon, and went on to sever England's relationship with the Catholic Church in Rome, forever changing the course of British history. Despite the lengths he went to ensnare her, Henry soon grew tired of Anne, and choosing to believe the idle gossip surrounding her, had her beheaded in 1536. I gotta say, I'm not entirely familiar with this story, so I'm not sure what the gossip really? was. Really? Yeah. Okay. Like, I've heard of it. Yeah, I, I don't know no. the story. Okay, just to give you a little bit of Cole's notes on Henry VIII. Are you going to give um, me the gossip? <laughs> I'm just going to give you the Cole's notes of the story. So okay. he wanted a son. He couldn't get a son. Oh, I do so, know that. Yeah. Yeah. So he does be divorced his first wife because Anne Boleyn's like, no, I've, I've got, I can make sons like nobody's business. Yeah. So he goes to the Catholic Church and he says there. he wants a divorce. And they say, no, you can't have a divorce. So he says, well, then I'm going to start my own church. Starts the Church of England, gets the divorce, and his first wife gets 
a bunch of his territory, marries Anne, doesn't have a son, beheads her, marries some more people, more beheading takes place. Okay, okay. I did know that. So for all the listeners who asked, they thank you. Okay, so I'm not sure what the gossip is still. Apparently Taylor did not have the gossip. That was the part. I think it was that he couldn't have a son. So okay. there was something wrong with, you know, the gossip around children. Yes, okay. The and having children. Gossip. Yeah. I, I'm familiar with that. Especially okay. when they don't understand how reproduction actually works at that point, and they think that the woman can control it. <laughs> whether it's a son or a daughter. Okay. It's not, like, I would be, okay, I'm not just about to give away all women's secrets right now, but we can. Okay. So, is that, that, wait, is that all of women's secrets? <laughs> yes. That's our okay. secret. <laughs> to finish the story. A number of reports exist of the ghost of Anne Boylan, but perhaps the most affecting is the version said to haunt her childhood home, Hever Castle in Kent. Some say that every Christmas Eve, the spectral figure of Anne Boylan can be seen slowly gliding across the bridge over the River Eden toward her family home, where she was at her happiest. Next one. Oh, this is a good one. Headless Horseman at Roos Hall in Suffolk, England. There's another one. This is the Christmas Headless Horseman. Bruce Hall in Suffolk, Suffolk, maybe? Yes, Suffolk. Okay. Lays claim to being one of the most haunted houses in England. The 16th century hall has a number of sinister connections, including a gruesome hanging tree, an oak tree planted at the site of the old gibbet where numerous criminals were hung. To make things even spookier, inside one of the building's cupboards, the mark of the devil's cloven hoof is said to be imprinted. He was there too. He probably helped build the manor, I would assume, because he was such a yeah, good guy. Probably. And he just wanted to have a happy, a, a Merry Christmas. Yeah, probably. probably. Didn't want to be alone. Jeez. <laughs> Perhaps the most dramatic haunting is supposed to happen every Christmas Eve. Legend has it that the headless horseman clatters down the driveway with his four black, sometimes headless horses as well, pulling a phantom coach, driven noiselessly down the driveway towards the house. As the spectral coach reaches the door, it stops and a beautiful woman steps out of the coach, but for those who are drawn to her beauty, would do well to look away, as it is said that if you look her in the eye, you will be driven to madness or instant death. Is She's not headless then, correct? Doesn't seem to be, no. I guess nobody would really be drawn to an attractive head. Nah, I shouldn't say nobody, but less people would be <laughs> drawn to an attractive headless woman. <laughs> The ghost of Sir Geoffrey de Mandeville and his headless dog roamed the streets on Christmas Eve. Sir Geoffrey de Mandeville held the title of Earl of Essex and was a prestigious European landowner during the 1100s. Because of his title, he had great influence over royal politics at the time. However, when a debate emerged regarding the rightful heir to the throne, he chose the losing side and was promptly stripped of many of his assets and excommunicated from the church. During his excommunication, Sir Geoffrey was slain on the battlefield, but because of his exile, he was not allowed a proper Christian interment. Inter internment. No, there's no N. I thought it was interment as well. Proper no. Christian interment, which many believe left his spirit trapped within the earthly realm. Maybe it was spelled wrong. I'm not sure. It says interment, but it, we may think it means interment, but take with whatever one you might funeral. know is correct. Yeah. 
<laughs> because I know nothing about whatever that means. Rumor claims that Sir Jeffrey also left a curse on the properties he owned, stating that should they ever be taken away from him, ruin would befall his betrayer, and every six years on Christmas Eve, he and a headless dog would haunt the lands draped in a red cloak. That's an interesting curse. Ever since his demise, people who have visited the properties he once owned, particularly the Pimsbrook Bridge in East Barnett, have reported hearing strange noises and witnessing the hazy image of a headless dog breaking through the fog accompanied by a knight in full armor and a red cloak. Hmm. I mean, does that not make the dog way less dangerous if it doesn't have a head? Yeah, like almost okay. 100% less dangerous. Yeah. Most of the dangerous part is the teeth. Yeah, it's okay. the head part. So I know we've also done some stories like this before as well, but what is a Christmas story without some spooky Santa's ladies to really scare the children? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I couldn't choose what way to go with spooky Christmas, so I went all directions. User Another Pint on Reddit says, I saw Santa Claus when I was seven or eight years old in the early hours of Christmas morning in our big rambling Victorian house on Staten Island. I had gotten up to go to the bathroom, which was on the top of a long ornate staircase leading to the main living and dining floor. The house was dark and my parents and siblings were asleep. As I emerged from the bathroom, I looked down the stairs, anticipating stuffed stockings on Christmas morning a few hours off. At the bottom of the stairs was Santa Claus. He looked back up at me and sort of half-waved, then gave me two quick successive come-on-down-here gestures as if he wanted me to join him. Well, that's creepy. I know. I heard nothing but saw him quite clearly. I was wide awake, not on any meds, and lucid. I was shocked and excited by what I saw, and after a long few seconds, retreated to my room rather than accept his invitation. It's nearly 50 years later, and I think about my Santa sighting every Christmas. I know what I saw. It's one of the three or four genuinely inexplainable experiences of my life. In later years, I read up on Jung's theory about UFOs, projection, and the collective unconscious and wondered if a mass longing by a whole planet's worth of wishful children could literally conjure Santa Claus into manifesting. Stranger things have happened, and judging from this thread, Santa has happened to more people than me. I put that one in just for his last blurb i thought that was really an interesting take on it yeah i, I really wish he replaced the word manifest with santa fest but <laughs> other than that it's proper it santa fested into his life yeah next sighting is baby bird lover my 32 year old daughter is convinced that she saw santa claus in her house christmas eve when she was seven years old she said she woke up in the middle of the night and was too excited to sleep she told me she got up and was walking down the hallway to the living room when she saw him he put a finger up over his mouth in a quiet gesture then she went back to her room she told me she was surprised to see him and that she had the feeling the entire time she was looking at him that she was seeing something she shouldn't be seeing Maybe we ought to wonder exactly what we are inadvertently inviting into our homes with this Santa Claus tale. The BEKs show up at your door and ask for permission to enter. Black Eyed Kids. That just dawned on me. For permission to enter. With Santa Claus, we have already given him permission to enter. I like that have thought we? as well. Have well, we? yeah, if you're putting out cookies and milk. But, huh. I, 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 I think they need, like, not implicit consent they need to ask and you need to say yes yeah like with most most entities it can't be implicit consent like with vampires it can't be implicit like it needs to be expressed but if you had like set out like 
Maybe those rules don't apply to chimneys. You washed your neck and you were like sitting on the couch and you were like, the vampire comes tonight. You leave the door open and like put all your stakes away with like the intention that they're coming into your house. You don't think a vampire could come in? I don't think so, no. I think they need the express consent of the person. Hmm. It can't just be implied. But I guess it's open to interpretation. It is, it is. I was just going to say, it's open for debate. I feel like this is now an episode that we'll have to do in the future. I'm <laughs> consent <laughs> to entry. Rest consent from paranormal entities. <laughs> Let's get to another sighting then. With that, there'll be we'll get no answers today. Okaj 1000. My little brother saw Santa Claus a couple years ago at my grandparents' house at midnight. Oh, this one's creepy. I always try to dispute because we sleep downstairs and the tree is upstairs. So even if Santa was real, there'd be no reason for him to go downstairs. But my brother swears he woke up late at night and saw Santa Claus standing at the foot of his bed in the dark. Ooh, creepy. Hey, this one is posted by user Wonder- Maxwell Hill. Just kidding. If, if that <laughs> <laughs> um, what were we going to ask? <laughs> I'm just going to be surprised because Jelaine is Jewish, so that would disprove her. <laughs> it being her, but what was I going to ask? Sorry. If something like that happened to you in childhood do you think you would talk to your parents about like hey let's give up this whole santa thing i don't want santa to come this year (laughs) santa terrifies me and like would you want to go for pictures with santa well and you just see him everywhere and like especially if you're in the age of santa being big in your life Seeing the mall Santas, I'm sure it's the same guy. So okay, that would be terrifying. So, yeah. Like, do and... you have a conversation when parents are saying, like, Santa comes this year and you're like, can we, like, take any measures to not have him come? But you're not thinking of this as a little kid. You're thinking of it as you and being like, holy shit, that's creepy Santa Claus standing. Maybe he woke up and was just like, better go back to sleep because oh, Santa's Santa. going to bring yeah. me presents. And he's True, checking yeah. to see if I'm asleep. Yeah, and, and just like I, I guess yeah, he's creepy, but he also brings gifts. So. Exactly. Yeah. So more important is the gifts for kids yeah. than creepy. <laughs> oh, little kids' minds. <laughs> Next one is actually posted by user deleted. So oh, no. it could be Maxwell. <laughs> <Santa got him. laughs> this was many, many years ago, but I still remember it like it was yesterday. I still believed in Santa Claus then, as a good amount of children do, and I had the usual anxiety and excitement for Santa to leave Christmas presents by the tree. Anxiety. After, (laughs) maybe he wasn't good that year. After I went to bed, I had some trouble going to sleep with holiday nerves and such. This guy had a lot of anxiety as a kid. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, I had finally drifted off. depression is alive (laughs) in kids, apparently. I finally drifted off when I woke up to the sound of soft footsteps somewhere in my room. I automatically assumed it was Santa Claus and I was scared to see him for fear he might leave or his magic will fail. I opened one eye just barely and saw this black this figure kid. standing over this my bed kid. staring at me. I know. Uh, interesting he was wording here. going on in life. Yeah. Then this black entity shows up. <laughs> it was tall, probably around six feet tall, and it was completely dark. It looked almost blacker than black in any way. I couldn't see any eyes, a mouth, or nose on it, but I could clearly see the outline of a head, arms, body, and legs. It looked like a bigger person, so thinking it was Santa just made sense. 
It stayed in one spot for 10, maybe 15 seconds until it took a step closer. It leaned in a little more, still a few feet away from me, and then stayed there for 10 to 15 seconds more. Even though I couldn't see a face, I knew it was looking at me. It's just that weird feeling you get when you know you're being watched or looked at. I closed my eyes again and waited for a few minutes. When I looked back, it was gone. I lived in a pretty old house at the time, so the doors and floor beds were squeaky and loud. I heard the footsteps, but I never heard the door open. I never saw this figure again, though I've had some other spooky experiences in the house. I asked my mom if she heard Santa when he came into my room last night, and she looked confused for a second. Then she played along and just assumed I was lying. I know this wasn't a person, I know this wasn't a dream. I also know that spirits entities are often attracted to lots of excitement energy, so Christmas would be a perfect time for ghosts to pass through. Yeah, so that kid probably was not living the best life. And then this is my last one by user deleted. So here's the last story for your Merry Christmas. I remember that I used to have a recurring dream growing up about a huge tall thing in the snow outside my bedroom window with like really, really bright green eyes. It would only happen on Christmas Eve and my head cannon and my head cannon was that it was some Christmas being like Santa Claus. I don't know what head cannon means. Oh, that was what they decided in their mind. Oh. Like, oh, that entity out there is Santa related. Okay. To explain it to themselves. It would only happen on Christmas Eve, and my head canon was that it was some Christmas being like Santa Claus. The end. Huh. Yeah. Okay. I know. <laughs> well, I hope that we have given you sufficient, first off, tradition, as well as stories, and then time to get back into your Halloween costume to make this festive time of year just a little more festive. <laughs> yeah. But in the meantime, I hope everybody enjoys their holidays, whether it be Christmas or otherwise that have taken place over this last month. I have been Taylor, here with Chelsea. We are Journey to the Fringe. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. If you have liked what you have listened to, please like, share, subscribe, or follow, depending on what venue you are listening to us through also please if possible leave a five-star review as that really helps us in the algorithms should you wish to interact with us please check us out on your social media of choice i bet you we are there and if you really want to communicate with us and give us ideas for new episodes or tell us that we're wrong and terrible either way please send us an email at journey to the fringe at gmail.com for now i'll see you in the next episode (laughs) 